We would like to welcome you this morning to Mission Bible Fellowship as Pastor Stuart Guthrie brings a message from God's Word. We hope it challenges, encourages, and strengthens your walk with the Lord. Um, so let's go to the Lord in, in prayer this morning as we get started. Father, we have been on a journey through First and Second Peter. You've encouraged us. You've definitely challenged us. You've enlightened us into knowing what a false teacher looks like. And God, over the last week, I've seen a spiritual warfare that I've not seen since I've been here in this community. And I pray, God, this morning that this message would continue to encourage us challenge us and enlighten us on the things that you have for us today. I continue to pray for the lives of your people who you're working in as I see them struggling against the enemy, against the attacks of false teachers within our very own community. And I pray for the lives of those people, God, I can't help but think maybe they're not able to stand on their own and so we really need to be praying for them diligently that you would deliver them through this time of enticement and that you would bring them into a saving knowledge of yourself that they might know the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you Lord and we thank you for this time that we can gather freely to serve the Lord God. Together without persecution, as many are in prison and martyred for their faith, for simply owning a Bible or simply sharing the message of the hope of Jesus. We pray continually for Pastor Saeed as he is imprisoned, for proclaiming Christ, the Islamic community. We ask that you bless this day, that you fill me, that you empower me, Lord, with the Holy Spirit, that I might speak your truth with humility, with boldness, and with accuracy. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Well, we've made it to the last chapter, the book of Second Peter. We've journeyed through the book of First Peter and now about to complete the second one today, if the Lord wills. I hope that you've been challenged again, encouraged and enlightened through these books as we've walked through them. And with just a little overview before we jump into our text this morning, I want to bring to your remembrance the layout of the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is really divided into three chapters. Each chapter having its own idea, its own thoughts, its own teaching, its own instruction. And in chapter 1, we see Peter's encouragement to live holy lives before the Lord. And then chapter 2, really the main point of this chapter is to point out the heresies that will come in our day, that have come in our day, and that came before us. And in chapter 3, he's really wanting to point to our understanding of our future and our expectations of Jesus Christ coming back again and how this should affect us as Christians. We've been working through this book and... This outline we've completed. And again, I put this together so that we could 
find help in working through the books and the ideas that are behind each chapter. And so in chapter 3, we will begin to try and understand that we need to be avoiding false teachings by understanding your future. Last week we looked at understanding our future as it will protect against the mockers that will come in the last of the last days. And we noticed that we are in those days. People mock the return of Jesus. They say He's not coming. And so Peter wants to remind us of our past. He wants to instruct us of the present. And he also wants to warn us of what is to come in the future. And this week, we'll be looking at understanding our future and how that will affect our behavior. Peter simply wants us to understand that looking for the coming of Christ will affect how we live our daily lives. We talked about it a little bit last week, if you recall, as as I was a kid and the teacher would leave the classroom... And there would be that moment of time in which we would celebrate. We'd have a small party while the teacher was gone. Because we didn't expect them to come back for a few minutes. And so how we view the last of the last days, how we view the coming, the future of Messiah will affect how we live our lives as believers. Therefore, we looked at living lives expecting His return. When? Only God knows. But what we can be sure of is that He will come back as He's promised. And we should be ready for that return at any given moment in time. Because it says He will come like a thief in the night. Well, let's get started this morning. If you will, turn to the book of 2 Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 3, verses one Or verses 11 to 18. Starting in verse 11. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning... The elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, spotless and blameless in regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you, as also in his letters speaking in them of these things, in which some things hard, are hard to understand, which are untaught, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
Well, there are three points that I want us to take from this passage of Scripture this morning. Three that I think will help us as we grow, as we look into the future, as we expect the return of Christ. Number one, understanding our future should influence our actions. Secondly, understanding our future should influence our appearance. And lastly, understanding our future should influence our awareness. The fact remains true that how you view the last of the last days, how you view your future, will influence your actions and how you live today as believers. For example, if I were to ask you this morning, are you ready to go to heaven? You maybe would say, sure, I'm ready to go to heaven. If you are born again, your position in Christ is, is found holy and righteous, and therefore all Christians, all believers, all followers, at the moment you pass into eternity, would go to heaven. But if I were to say it another way, if I were to ask you, are you ready for Christ to return? We may have a different thought. You may think to yourself, well, there are some things that I would really like to clean up before He comes back. I would really like to get rid of some of the things that are in my home that, that would not be pleasing and satisfying to God as He bursts through those clouds. And I want to get rid of those things and get cleaned up. Well, I hope by the end of this message when you leave, you will be ready to exit here and to get rid of all of those things in life that would not be pleasing to God because at any moment He could come back and He would find us in the state in which we were in. The point I'm trying to make is this, that understanding, number one, our future should influence our actions. Our actions are affected by what our future looks like. If you are here this morning and maybe you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, maybe you are a what we would call an unbeliever, you haven't put, placed your faith in Jesus, you may have a different expectation. You don't believe Jesus Christ would return. And so this would give you an outlook uh, differently on what the last days might look like. And maybe even give you an outlook of a different purpose of life in which you may be trying to live for money, fame and fortune, and maybe even placing your values based on what you will be able to leave in your children as a legacy for your life. There's no eternal perspective for the unbeliever in understanding that all of the things in which we see on this earth will perish. They will burn up within a fire. All your works, all your efforts, all your good deeds, all of these things will expire. But for us... Those that have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, we should have a much different outlook on life. We should have a much different picture of the future to come. And Peter begins by saying, Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because, which the, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This earth as we know it will be burned up and gone 
for good. We expect a new one. And everything in it will go with it. All of our stuff, all of our achievements, all of our medals, all of our wreaths of competitions will be burned up. And since all of these things will be done away by fire, as it's referring back to verse 10, as it says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Because of this, what sort of people should we be? Now I know here it kind of sounds like Peter's looking for an answer when he asks the question, but... Here you don't see a question mark and that's because it's a rhetorical question. He's not looking for an answer. He understands what kind of people we ought to be. He's already taught us that in the beginning of the chapter. That's why I had them read this morning 2 Peter chapter 1 verses 5 to 7. Because we are called to be diligent in living godly lives. He's given us everything we need pertaining to life and to godliness. And so what sort of people ought we be? He says, in holy conduct and godliness. Peter has already talked about that. As he says there in 1 Peter 1.15, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior, because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are called to be holy people of God before a world that's fallen to pieces. Before an economy that's fallen apart, we're called to be holy and set apart. And Peter has taught us in his second book that we are divine partakers of the divine nature of Jesus Christ, of God. And so all Christians are considered in their position holy before God. But we are to be changed in our actions as Christians as well. And so we are called to be holy in our position before God. That's being justified before God. Being declared righteous before God. But we're also called to be godly in our practices. Not only in our position, but in our practices. Understanding that the end is coming and that we will give an account as Christians for the life that we've lived. Let us look for His coming and live for His coming. Not as these pseudo-fake Christians do that don't expect His return, that mock His return. But let us look for His return as it affects our actions. We know that this big ball we live in is going up in flames. We should not only be holy like the Lord and godly like Christ, but we should also be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we again, the word, looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That word is repeated over and over. And when we study the Word of God, when we read Scripture, one of the things we need to do as we study is we need to circle the words that are repetitive as we read through the passages. Because when words are repeated, it means it's important. It's a point that He's trying to make. We not only need to be doing this, but we need to be looking for 
And so one of the actions that should come from knowing the earth will be burned up is that we should be looking with intent, with excitement, with expectation. We believers should have a focus on the future. And Scripture is consistent about these expectations. We see there in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, it says the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. We need to be trying to pray this event into taking place. So come Lord Jesus. He says in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, or yeah, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another with so much the more as you see the day approaching. We should be trying to gather together in fellowship and in love with one another as the day of the Lord draws near. There is an expectation of a day of arrival. He says in 1 John 2.18, Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, now, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. These false teachers in their own false teachings are warning us that we are in the last of the last days. We are living in the last hours. He says here also that we're not only to be looking, but he also says we are to be hastening the day of God. Now, if you're like me, you didn't know what the word hastening means. So I had to look it up. But as I looked it up, I was encouraged. I was, my eyes were opened. I was enlightened to new information that I'd never seen before. The word hasting means to speed up. It makes, when you think about that, it should make your mind start spinning. What does he mean, speed up? We should be speeding up the coming of the day of God? What does that mean? Well, what he's saying is we, as Christians, play a part in bringing about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not only should we be looking, but we should be hurrying the process along. Well, pastor, you might say that's hard to grasp. God is sovereign. Yes, I agree in the sovereignty of God 100%. But, He also uses us as His tools in bringing the gospel message to people. To, to tell people about the hope of Jesus Christ. And because we should be looking and speeding up the process, hastening, we have been given an important task as Christians. If you recall in Matthew chapter 24 verse 14, in His discourse there in the last days, Jesus instructs His followers to proclaim the gospel to all nations. And then He says, and then the end will come. He says, this gospel... of the kingdom shall be preached in all of the world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Do you see how understanding our future will influence our actions as Christians? 
We have a part in bringing about the return of Christ and so we should be encouraged to share the hope of Jesus with people. Because when the last of the last people hear the gospel and they believe, Christ will come back. And at that point, we can be faithful in understanding that God doesn't close the door on people who will be followers of Jesus. The last of the last will have made the decision and the time will have come and therefore He will come back. But it's our responsibility in the flesh as tools to proclaim Jesus Christ to a nation that's fallen. God is still sovereign. And He knows the last one, but we need to be the ones, the tools that are being used. Now, you know, I have tools in my shop, and very often they just sit in the tool bag. And there's typically one or two or three tools that I use on a normal basis. And this morning, I want to ask ourselves the question, are we one of the tools that God uses on a normal basis, or are we just sitting in the tool bag? Because we can come and worship the Lord God. We can sing about how great He is. We can talk about how good God is and how great His message is. And we can go out to a world and never open our mouth about Jesus. And it just doesn't make sense. Because if we understand that we are the tools in which God uses to save the lives of people who are dying and perishing, separated from God, then we should say, God... Use me. Give me the strength. Give me the ability to not be afraid to, to proclaim Jesus to somebody. Allow me to be the tool used to open my home to invite an unbeliever into that home. Use me, Lord. Put me on a job site where I can encounter men and women that I can share the hope of Jesus with. Are we being used? We need to be looking for and hasting the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to His promise, we are looking for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let us share Jesus with all that we can and be looking with anticipation of the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness would dwell. John saw it coming, this new heavens and this new earth. In Revelation 21.1 he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Isaiah 66:22 says for just as many heaven just as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make will endure before me declares the Lord so your offspring and your name will endure we have a promise of new and so understanding our future understanding the anticipation of the return of Jesus should influence our actions as Christians. But also, secondly, understanding our future should influence our appearance. Should influence our appearance. You know, most people... Now, I'm just going to speak... Most people... Maybe not you, but most people, every day they wake up in the morning, the first thing they do is take a shower, 
Maybe not. Maybe you just get up and you jump. But most people get up and they look in the mirror and make sure their hair is fixed up. They want to look beautiful for their wife, or they want to, their wife wants to look beautiful for their husband, or they just want to look nice when they go to work. And I'm sure this morning, as many of you woke up, you spent quite a bit of time in front of the mirror because you knew you were going to be before, be before people, and so you wanted to make sure your tie matched with your shirt, and make sure it wasn't something jacked up on your jacket, and make sure you didn't have like the little hair sticking up. You know, you wanted to look nice. Well, let me ask you this. How much time do we spend looking on the inside compared to how much we time spend looking at the outside? Peter wants us this morning to consider, that he, and he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the world to be burned up, for the new heavens and the new earth to come in, be diligent, he says, to be found by Him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as our brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in his letters speaking in them of these things in which some are hard to understand which the untaught the unstable distort as they do also the rest of scripture to their own destruction because again we are looking for these very things the coming of the Lord the new heaven the new earth we are to be diligent specifically in four areas four areas he says the first he says we are to be diligently found in peace and this is the appearance in which we should seek to have peace Peter, if you recall, talked about this diligence already as he spoke about believers and how they are to apply all diligence. Another reason I had that passage read this morning as it says here, let me get my book right. It says, for this very reason, there, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence. We've already talked about that. The Greek word spudezo, it means to make every effort, to do it quickly. Now guys, don't go home telling your wife to spudezo out of the bathroom while she's trying to get her hair ready. That probably won't go over too well. But Peter wants us to hurry up. Peter wants us to be diligent and to be found in peace. I want to ask you this morning, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, are we being found in peace? Do we live lives of peace? Are you experiencing freedom from worry? Or are you not at peace? Only you know what's inside. I hope you know that Christ is our peace. If we are not found in peace, it's not because Christ has caused it. It's not that God has left us, that God has abandoned us. You know, many times as I, as I deal with young people, young Christians who are going through extremely difficult times in life, the question they ask is, why has God abandoned me? 
Why has God abandoned me? Listen, God hasn't abandoned you. Maybe it's your lack of faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe it's simply a misunderstanding about who God is in His character. Whatever it is, we have been called to have an appearance as men and women of the faith of peace. Because Christ is peace. And we no longer live, but who lives in us? Christ. And if Christ lives in us and Christ is peace, therefore we should have peace. He is the Prince of Peace. And that peace can only come from trusting in Jesus Christ. And even as Christians, we can struggle in this area. And we need to be reminded that we worship Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, that has delivered us over so that we might have peace within our lives. You might not be happy. The question you need to ask is, do you have peace? You might be struggling this morning. But let me ask you, do you have peace? When your money is gone, when the car breaks down, when the job gets tough, when your game is off, when you're burnt out on being lonely, when you've had enough of being sick, when your marriage is on the ropes, do you have an underlying peace within your soul? Because we should have the appearance of peace. Because Philippians 4, 6 and 7, 4 to 7 tells us, Rejoice always in the Lord. Does that say rejoice in the Lord always if only if you're perfectly healthy? Does it say rejoice in the Lord always only when you have a bank account that's full of money? Does that say rejoice in the Lord always? You get what I'm saying. It's not conditional. We are called to rejoice in the Lord always because we've been dwelt with peace. We've been given the Holy Spirit. And He says again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Have you done that today? Are you at peace? Knowing, listen, that Christ is near. We worship a God that's transcendent, but He's also way up there. He's out there. We can't necessarily see Him, but He's invested in our lives. He is a God that was up on the mountain, but He became man. And He came down to us so we can understand Him. Christ is near us. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When your money is gone, He will never leave you nor forsake you. When your health is poor, He will never leave you nor forsake you. We have a hope of a future coming of Jesus Christ and everything in this world will burn away except our hope in Jesus. He says, secondly, we are to be spotless and blameless. Pure and unblemished. Let me ask you, can you do that on your own? Can you make yourself pure and unblemished? No, you can fight tooth and nail to be found by God as pure and unblemished, 
spotless and blameless, but only Christ can make this happen in our lives. We have a a dependency upon God to transform our lives, not only on the outside, but more so on the inside. Peter is saying, you are looking with expectations because you know the new heavens and the new earth are coming. Then take the responsibility as individual Christians to put forth the effort in developing Christian conduct and to be found spotless and blameless, pure and unblemished before the Lord your God. But we have to do it by relying on the Spirit of God. These are some of the appearances that we need to have as Christians. And while there is a big focus on what we look like outwardly, you know, I wear a suit not because I think it's a special thing, not because I want to be better than anybody who wears shorts or t-shirt, but I want to look nice. I want to wear the best that I have to worship the Lord my God. And so there is some aspect in which we do consider our outward appearance. I think any parent would say, son, fix your hair. Don't go out looking like a bum. Don't put those clothes on. Don't wear those jeans. Look nice. Be presentable. But sometimes we need to have a bigger focus on the inside than on the outside. Because if God, you remember, looks at the heart when man looks at the outward appearance. And so I'm not talking about how we look to man. I'm talking about how we look to God. We may look spotless, blameless. I may look like the perfect man to you. I may look like I have unblemishes. Probably not. You may look like the best Christian in the world, but God doesn't care what everybody else thinks about you. He knows what's in the heart. Isn't that the greatest thing about God? We're judged by men all over the world. We're judged by friends. We're judged by workers. But they don't know what's inside. Only God knows what's inside. And so we need to focus on the inside. We are told to be found with peace, to be spotless, to be blameless, and regard the patience of the Lord as salvation. Just as also our beloved Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you. Evidently there was a letter, we're not sure what it was, which one it was, that was written to these people. But what we do know is that he says, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. We should be carrying around the appearance of gospel givers. We should be carrying around the appearance of little evangelists. Always wanting to share the hope of Jesus with people. And just because this morning you may not have the gift of evangelism does not disregard our responsibility to share the gospel. It is a mandate for all Christians. Not just those with a special gift, with a special yearning, a special desire to share Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Many of you know my heart. I'm an evangelist in the heart. I want to share the gospel with every single soul that I can tell. But just because you may not have that passion 
That gift doesn't negate your responsibility to share the hope of Jesus with people. We are called to share it. And yesterday, I spoke on the word abdication. Simply means putting one's responsibilities aside. And so this morning, I want it to be known, let us not abdicate our responsibility to share the gospel with people that God has placed in our lives. We are the tools. God has been patient toward the lost. He's been patient towards you. He's been patient towards me. He's been patient towards my father. He hasn't come back yet. We talked about how great, how encouraging that is to know that if Christ would have come back in 2001, I wouldn't have made the boat. (laughs) Praise God for His patience. And we are to regard this patient as salvation. Think of it as an opportunity for salvation. Tell them about Christ, about the good news of Jesus. Peter calls God's grace that leads to salvation patience in verse 9, if you remember. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart is for the world to be saved. Paul says in Romans 2, 4, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness, intolerance, and patience, not knowing that His kindness... That the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Paul talked about God's patience and how that is God's kindness and how it leads to repentance. But we, again, are the tools in which God uses. So let us speak while God is still showing His patience to this world and the people in it. Peter continues here as also... His letters, speaking in them of things in which are some things hard to understand. Which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do. Also, the rest of Scripture to their own destructions. Here we're we're told that, that a lot of this stuff is difficult to understand. I want to tell you, when you preach verse by verse, you come up against stuff you go, Dude, i got no idea what he's talking about. And it takes diligence, it takes time to study. And I hope that what I present is accurate and biblical and I test it against other faithful pastors and preachers and, and historical, evangelical faith. But some of this stuff is hard to understand. And it says here, which the untaught and the, unable, and the, un, the unstable distort. He's jumping back on these false teachers again right here as we approach the end of his book. But we need to know the future so that we know how these people twist and distort the Scriptures to their own destruction. We have another place there that speaks of these Scripture twisters and their destruction that will end enough time in itself with destruction soon enough. We need to focus on how we will be found in Christ Will we be found as gospel givers? Will we be found as pure, spotless, blameless? Understanding our future should influence our appearance. That's important to understand. But lastly, understanding our future should influence our awareness. 
Peter wants us to be aware, not to fall asleep. Don't fall asleep and miss these men of error. I'm not talking about men that don't mean error. I'm not talking about men who are diligently studying the Word of God and they hold a view and maybe it's wrong. I think there's special forgiveness in those things when we hold them with open hands. I'm talking about pseudo-Christians, false teachers, pseudo-prophetes, false prophets that err on purpose, that try to distort based off of their worldly convictions. And Peter says, Therefore you, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. He says, since you already know these things, be on guard, brothers and sisters. It pre-assumes they know what he's talking about, but he's reminding them, he's stirring their, their thoughts up by way of reminder. And these Christians that Peter is talking about, not unbelievers, and Peter points to the experience that these believers had with false teachers who enter the Christian community with purpose of twisting the meaning of Scripture. And so he says, be on guard, be aware. And we need to make sure that we're not carried away by the error they produce and fall away from our steadfastness. And listen, I want you to understand this morning, by keeping close company with people of error, you run the risk of being enticed by deceitful teachings. Don't hang out with people with error. They will drag you down. I don't care how godly you are, no one's above falling. It doesn't matter how much you know the Bible, they are crafty, they are enticing, and they will do it with trickery. And like fishermen, if you remember the word entice, is like trying to entice a fish to take a bait. And they have many baits they will offer you. And so they will do do their best to drag you away from the truth. I want you to understand there are people in this community doing that right now with people in our church. There are people here this that are not here this morning because they're being enticed and dragged away to false teachings. And I'm very passionate about this, especially people I invest my life into when they're being attacked by the enemy. Man, it gets me fired up. It gets me bold in Christ. And I want to preach the truth of the Gospel over and over again. They will do their best to drag you away from the truth of the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they will try to make you believe that you can work your way to heaven. They will try to make you believe in all of these things that will get you into the kingdom of God when it's the gospel that saves. Paul says, I didn't come to baptize, but I came to preach the gospel. And the gospel, he says, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I just want to clarify one thing because I've heard it said in here a couple times when mentioned about these individuals and I'm not going to go into their name but, but we're calling them good men. We're calling them good men and somebody sitting across the table sees oh they're a good man. They're young Christians. They don't know any better. They're not good men. Any man who teaches a false gospel is a heretic and he is to be accursed. 
we have to be careful. He's not a good man. He is their enemy. He is a wolf in sheep clothes, looking to devour, looking to overtake you with his destructive heresies. And we know they seek after young believers and young Christians. So and so all of us here today who are faithful, who know the gospel, who have been a born again believer, we need to pray more now than ever because I promise you, I've been here for two years and this week I've seen more unbelievable spiritual warfare that, that, that would blow your mind. God is doing great things in this church. God is growing up a new generation in this church. He is using the older people to disciple the younger people. He's bringing souls to salvation in Christ. And the devil is not happy and he's going to attack more now than ever. And we need to be praying for these young people who come to faith in Christ. Because they're being preyed on. And so we don't need to get wrapped up with these men of error like those that teach baptism save. They are trying to keep people from this church. Don't fall into that trap because they are on their way a path of destruction. And he says in verse 18, but don't fall. Don't get caught up. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to learn the Word of God. And so this morning I want to encourage you to learn from the teachers that God has raised up in this church. They have lots to offer you with sound doctrine that's been tested by the elders of this church and proven. And we need to grow in the knowledge of Christ so that we can stand firm on our own. How about you this morning? Have you personally chose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That's where it begins. Have you ever asked Jesus to save you? To transform your life? To make you into a new creation in Christ? There are many out there who will delude you. And they want you to follow them. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Their destruction will come. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible says you will be saved. And to Him be the glory both now and the day of eternity. Amen. Understanding the future will protect us from false teachings because it will affect our actions, it will affect our appearance, and it will affect our awareness. Let us pray.